I am excited and proud to announce the new structure for our Hockey Operations Department. John Chaika has been appointed the new General Manager of the Arizona Coyotes. Rory, do you remember exactly what your life looked like at 27? It wasn't that long ago, but uh, what kind of things were you up to? Was it running an NHL team by any chance? I was not running an NHL team. I was running a fantasy hockey team, which I'm still running today. I haven't gotten a promotion into the real world of GMing yet, but I wasn't anywhere on the NHL's radar at this point. Well, you know what John Chaika was doing? And as I'm saying this out loud, we're going to double check later. He may have actually even been 26 when he was hired. I think he was 26 when he was hired mm-hmm. as an assistant, 27 when he became the GM of an NHL team. I mean, I know that. that the sports world is obviously sports management has changed a great deal. And John Chaikel is a child of the Moneyball revolution mm-hmm. and the Theo Epstein's of the world. And Epstein was 28 when he took over the Boston Red Sox. Of course, you and I know that. But man, you, you just have to sit back and marvel at a, a person achieving something like that at that tender age. We are going to be honored to have 29 year old now old grizzled 29 year old <laughs> john chica on this edition of the tape to tape podcast and if you're wondering why we're coming out on a thursday friends usually friday is the release of the t2t pod i'm headed to montreal oh man love saying that sentence headed to montreal max petretti's big return to the Bell Center as a member of the Vegas Golden Knights on Saturday. I will be there chronicling what's going down for sportsnet.ca. I think we might talk a little Habs a little later on in this pod as well, Rory. When we do some truth or fiction, I think we'll bring maybe Max Domi and Carey Price's different early season performances in. I know you've got a few as well that uh, you want to weigh in on. Uh We won't give things away there. And if you haven't ever been to a game in Montreal, by the way, that's like the place to go. If you're weighing your options, you're from out of the country or from uh, well out of these provinces and you're weighing your options. Do I go to Toronto? Do I go to Montreal? Go to Montreal. It's not even close. The atmosphere in that arena is is not just in the arena it's when you're walking up to the arena too like it's soaking with history their presentations are amazing I, i've been only one time it was against the boston bruins but i'll never forget I'm, I'm pretty sure i texted you after that game saying i'm a montreal canadians fan now for one night only that didn't stick <laughs> but it was it's that kind of atmosphere completely different than the experience you'll get in toronto so if you're on the fence please go to montreal it's a must-see for any hockey fan yeah no matter the state of the team it's usually worth uh parting with a few dollars for that game experience i'll tell you what experience you don't want to have being out of work now it's not so bad when you're still drawing a six million dollar per year paycheck but two coaches axed including joel quenville we made it through all of last year for like the first time in multiple multiple decades Mm -hmm. with no coaches being fired but a couple already gone joel quenville and john stevens of the la king so we'll chat a little bit about that but hey Let's just get right into it. When you've got a great guest, you want to dive right in. So joining us on the line today, he is the president and general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. It's John Chaika. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, five games into the season, John. Coyotes had a lone win. No one wants to push panic buttons, but can't be fun, especially given Arizona had a tough start last year. Since then, 6-2. and two plus 15 goal differential and most fun. I I think I have this right. Plus three while shorthanded. That is to say the coyotes have scored 
six times while down a man while only giving up three goals. John, what has clicked here in the past three weeks? Yeah, it's a funny game sometimes. You know, I think, uh, you know, from the beginning of the season until now, we, we've played fairly consistently. Um, you know, fundamentally, there hasn't been a huge swing in our in our game. You know, we early on, we weren't getting the bounces, we weren't scoring, but we were playing well defensively. Our goalies were giving us a chance every single night. And, uh, you know, there's just some variance in luck uh, from game to game when there's so few goals scored across the league and, and, and just in the sport of hockey in general. So, um, you know, we, we uh, came out on the wrong side. It's some, some good efforts early on. And, you know, lately here we've been getting some bounces. You know, guys have been getting in the net. Uh, you know, shooting luck's kind of gone our way. Uh, like you said, our penalty kill's been uh, excellent. Uh, our goaltending continues to be strong. So, uh, you know, the results have kind of come back in our favor, uh, you know, of late. But, again, it's, uh, you know, it's an 82-game season for uh, a reason. And, uh, you know, our goal is just to kind of play 82 good games and, and just see where the luck uh, kind of flushes out at the end of it. Well, I want to pick up on that goaltending, and, and Darcy Kemper's been solid for you guys in the support role, but I'm looking at the, the save percentages since Jan 1 of 2018. Tops in the league is Antti Ranta at 9.39. When you made the big deal in 2017 to get him and Stepan uh, from the Rangers for the, the seventh pick and, and Anthony D'Angelo, what were your expectations for, for what Ranta could provide? Uh, you know what, our expectations were, or we knew he was an elite puck stopper. So, um, you know, we expected him that uh, when he's in the net to stop pucks, and that's kind of what he's done his entire career and at a very high rate, of course. So, uh, you know, no no real surprises in that event. I think, you know, the the big question mark is just for anyone that hasn't been a starter, you know, there's a, there's a mental aspect to being a starter. Uh, you know, there's the day-to-day preparation and grind of, of playing, you know, 60-plus games. You know, that, that was the kind of, question mark i guess and yeah, down the stretch last year just just seeing his leadership uh you know what he could bring to the table that that certainly made us feel even better about it and uh you know this summer he was in a superb shape did a lot of things to get his body ready to, to have a full season as a starter and came into camp in excellent shape and you know his body works so far has been excellent so uh yeah big positive uh, to have him in the net and of course like you said darcy kemper has done a nice job i think you need two goalies to win in this league and, and we think we got two good ones John, at points last season, there was speculation, what's the future of Oliver ekman Larson with the Coyotes? Is he going to want to stick around? And then the first day he's eligible to sign the extension, you guys get a big one done, eight years, $66 million. We know that he's a fantastic defenseman, eight points in 13 games this season for a, another strong start. But how meaningful and symbolic um, was it to get him under contract, a lifelong Coyote, just to have that stability back there? But but to sign a guy of that stature to keep him around for the long term, how how meaningful and symbolic was that? Well, yeah, like you said, I mean he's a lead defenseman. That that part's apparent. You see him on the ice. He's uh, he's smooth. He's a puck transporter. Um, he makes plays. I think you know everyone wants to talk about two way defenseman. He, to me, he he is that exactly where you know his offensive side, his defensive side are, are very well balanced. Uh, you know he plays the full ice. He can play in all situations. Been a big part of our power play, big part of our penalty kill. So you know, again, those are the areas that I think every casual fan just turns on the TV and they can see that from Oliver. Uh, you know we're lucky that we know Oliver the person and. And the leader, and you know he's grown in that regard in the last you know twelve months, I'd say. And and you know early on here again we had some adversity, things weren't going our way. You know I think it was his leadership that really helped us with that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, he's a guy that can lead this organization forward. So um, obviously to get him signed long term uh, uh, to eliminate any type of noise or distraction, 
um, you know, get them committed to what we're doing here, you know, that was a big part. And, and certainly when I took over, you know, I think from Oliver's perspective, uh, you know, we had won a lot of games. Um, you know, the direction of the organization was a big question. Uh, on ice, off ice, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And, uh, you know, it was my job to try to convince him that, you know, we had a path forward and he could be a big part of that. And, uh, you know, the fact that he had the ability to sign with 30 other teams for similar money, uh, if not more, you know, if any of you decide to stay as a Coyote, I think validates a lot of the things that, you know, myself or Taki and Andy Barraway have, have done and put in place to try to grow this thing and uh, have Oliver as a core piece of that. It's obviously uh, really important for us. Up here in Canada, and especially the massive hockey market of Montreal, a lot has been made of Max Domi, how he's uh, really fit into the center role there with the Habs and his terrific start to the season. But Alex Galchenyuk has been doing just fine for you guys in, in Arizona as well. Tell us about how he's fitting in and, and performing with your team. Yeah, yeah, look, I'm a well-wisher, so it's good to see Max doing well. And, uh, you know, yeah, he was a good player for us out here, so we expect him to be a good player in Montreal. But, uh, you know, again, we kind of went through the process of finding a way to improve our group. And we looked at, uh, you know, guys that were able to play the center position to score to the rate that we felt we needed to. Uh, you know, Alex and, and his profile and what he had done uh, to date, but it was all extremely uh, attractive to us. So, uh, you know, he was injured early. I think that kind of to have him take a step back early on, but now he's kind of getting in the groove, and, and he's been excellent. I mean, he's uh, he's an elite shooter. He's a guy we don't have that type of shot on our team. Uh, he brings that. I think, uh, you know, he, he's able to make plays at a high level, very creative player. We've got him playing with Clayton Keller. Uh, they seem to be finding some chemistry there, especially of late. And, uh, you know, just a guy that uh, helps us slot our, our group uh, the way we feel is, is important and, uh, you know, takes some of that, offensive spotlight and pressure off some of the young players and allows them to go just play and uh yeah Alex has had a history of being that go-to guy being that offensive uh catalyst for teams and that's what he's doing for us so far so we're, we're excited to have him hey John uh still about eight months shy of your 30th birthday which I think is always worth pointing out when someone is the uh, general manager and president of the team your third season in the GM chair I'm just curious what parts of the job have kind of matched your expectations so far and, and what parts have proven to be um, a little surprising or, or a bigger part of the role than you realize, or, or even just more difficult um, when you, when you cast back over the, you know, your time here in that chair, what stands out? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, you know, I think, in terms of expectations, I mean, I, I, I had never been a general manager before in, in a pro sports league. So, you know, I, I think I, I kind of didn't have many expectations or I didn't have any preconceived notions of, you know, what, what to expect or what, uh, you know, what should be normal or natural. And, you know, I think early on that really helped me just in the sense of, uh, you know, I wasn't tied down to any, you know, previous ideas. I, I just wanted to get down to what, what we all felt as a group and as an organization and along with ownership was the best path forward for the Coyotes to, to win as many games as possible now and, and into the future. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are kind of folklore, they're traditions and they've done been done for a long time. Some of them have been done for a reason. Some of them, I, I quite frankly think there's better ways to do it. And then we're doing that here. So, um, you know, early on, I think that was, uh, there wasn't anything that I had expectations on. I think, uh, you know, the toughest part is, is like any business, and I don't think it was something that surprised me, but it, like I said, it, it just reinforces what, what I know of. Unless you have alignment 
uh, you know, top to bottom and uh, organizational vision and, and goals um, and everyone buying into that. And, uh, you know, it's very difficult to have success. Obviously, this is this is the, the, the top league in the world for hockey. So you have the best and the brightest, and we're all competing for the same thing. And, uh, you know, you're looking for competitive advantages all over the place. And uh, unless you have everyone buying in and, uh, you know, bought into what you're trying to do as a group, um, you know, it, it takes time to get there. So, you know, it took us some time to get uh, everyone on board and, and aligned, and, and now we've, we've gone forward and put in place the, the processes and, you know, the, the way we want to do business day in, day out. And, uh, you know, as we go through the process now of building out our team, you know, those things that we've done over the last few years are going to really, you know, start to pay dividends for us. So that's that's kind of been the, the biggest challenge is just getting those processes in place. John, I'm trying to imagine what the dynamic was when you first got hired as a young man, in, as a GM in the NHL, with the rest of the general managers around the league. Like, were were they welcoming to you? Was there any kind of, you know, trying to take advantage of the new guy, the young guy, the inexperienced guy, or anything like that? What what was the relationship or the dy- dynamic like with the other GMs around the league when you, when you first got into that chair? Yeah, look, by and large, I think there's a lot of good people in hockey. So whether it's you know, the league and, and the people at the league, starting with Gary and Bill, right down through to, uh, you know, the managers and coaches and everyone involved. So, um, you know, I think we're fortunate that way in this industry. There's a lot of good people. So uh, I, I think, you know, obviously my age is, is a factor, but I think at the same time, you know, I'm trying to improve my group and I'm trying to find ways to help the Coyotes win and other teams are trying to find ways to, you know, improve their organizations and, and win hockey games themselves. So, you know, that's kind of the, the, the the bind between the two of us uh, or the, the group of us managers. And, uh, you know, in some, some ways it's a zero sum game and, and we got to win games and it comes at the expense of somebody else. In other ways, there's just different organizations at different life cycles of the organization. You're trying to find a, a fit that works for them and works for you. And, and ultimately that's the only way that a deal gets consummated. So, um, you know, those are the things we focus on. Those are, you know, mainly our discussions is, is our team, where we're at, what we're looking to do um, and how we can, you know, try to find win-wins for each other. Um, and that's that's been most of the discussions. But yeah, having said that, there's a lot of personal discussions we do have. And like I said, guys have been great, welcoming, and there's a lot of good people that have done this for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, those are the guys that have seen guys come and go, but uh, they're also good people themselves. Okay, I'm going to need a little help from you here, John. Remind me, I remember when I was in your office, you have a slogan painted on your wall that's something to the effect of don't fail the plan, make the plan fail you. Did I get pretty close there? I think you nailed it, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, I just want to know how you feel about the plan right now and, uh, you know, kind of 30,000-foot view uh, where the Coyotes are at on and off the ice, because I know you, you're you're not someone who's ever shied away from the fact that there are inherent challenges where you guys are, um, and, and it's not the you know the same approach that uh, you know whatever teams in a traditional market can take. But you know where do you feel you guys are at first and foremost on the ice building and and just bring people up to the minute with uh, how things are going off the ice. Yeah, um, you know I think. Certainly feel uh, good about our, our plan and, and, and being disciplined towards our plan. Um, you know, on the ice, we feel like we've got a good team today. Uh, we're excited about you know, this season and our team that we've got on the ice, and, and we're equally, if not more, excited about our team of the future and uh, projecting out and looking to where we can go. Um, you know, we certainly feel like a team that the sky's the limit, and, uh, you know, as guys continue to progress and grow here and, and get brought up in the right system and culture and development path that, 
um, you know, we've got a good group that can continue to sustain this in the future. And, and that's kind of what we're after here as we grow the game in Arizona. And like you mentioned, it's not a traditional market, although we have been here for for a long time. Um, you know, there's a there's an element of, of trying to grow a market here and trying to grow a business. And any any successful organization, you look at the Tampas and the Nashvilles that have done it of late, um, you know, they have to concurrently build up a, a, a on-ice product uh, as they're building a business. And, uh, you know, they have to go hand-in-hand. Hand. And uh, we're lucky here. I got Aaron Cohen on the, on the business side. He's our CEO. And, uh, you know, him and I work hand in hand on a lot of the different initiatives and uh and again unless we're working together on these things then one without the other doesn't exactly work so you know aaron's uh day-to-day working on uh growing the business and focused on uh you know positively impacting the community um you know also there's a big part of his job that goes towards you know finding the long-term uh home for the coyotes and uh you know i think he has discussions daily and there's lots of you know exciting opportunities but just like anything, at building a team, you know, there's a process you have to go through to find, um, you know, a, a fit for everybody. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, again, positive strides being made in that regard. I think uh, there's a lot of real significant opportunities to grow the business, grow the game, grow the sport, uh, and grow the community, quite frankly, that uh, we've had a lot of discussions on. And, and that's the exciting part. But, uh, yeah, as you get through here day to day, our team continues to progress and grow. Our business continues to progress and grow. And, uh, you know, those are all positive signs as we go through our plan. Well, certainly some uh, young guns to be excited about on the Coyotes. We will follow along closely as they uh, continue to develop. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great week. That is John Chaika, president and GM of the Arizona Coyotes. Once again, special thanks to John for joining us today on the T2T pod. Rory, the reason I knew he had that slogan written across the wall of his office was I was there about uh, 13 months ago uh, before last season to profile uh, a man who, uh, you know, as noted, pretty unique story being such a, a young guy heading up an NHL team. I'll tell you what I felt instantly dumb about after not even, I didn't even have to meet him. It was before when I spoke to his sister, Megan, um, about, John's history and just for people who don't know and and to give a little background first off you can still check out the big read if you want uh, sportsnet.ca and just google my name John Chica sportsnet.ca big read you'll get to it but little background uh, Megan is John's older sister she John and her partner uh, Neil Lane about I would say now probably 10 years ago um, started a business when they were all business students at Western. And it, as you would expect, it was about, um, it was a data-driven thing where they were evaluating players and uh, looking for new and different ways to to track things and, and evaluate players. And they started doing some work with NHL teams. And yeah, I think that was kind of, you know, John's gateway into um, that world and networking with some people and, you know, dot, dot, dot. That's how he ends up um, uh, eventually getting hired by the coyotes but when you hear data when you hear numbers there's still this stupid tendency to think about you know people who can only look at spreadsheets and aren't communicators and uh one of the first things you learn about uh, john chica is he's the whole product he's just a polished well-spoken um guy who you know could be giving ted talks and the kind of person who can stand in front of the room and communicate 
the information they found and answer questions and be grilled when you're, you know, going to different universities and, and applying for grants to to get your business going. And uh, just a really, really, really impressive, uh, well-rounded guy. So I did feel a little dumb for thinking that I was going to be, you know, in a in a room with someone who was just like, you know, this times this cubed yeah. equals good hockey player. Like surprisingly, these GMs know about hockey. Yeah, <laughs> on the ice. Well, you know what? You know what? I remember too was uh, before I actually we did a formal interview was at the end of the Coyotes rookie camp, and um, you know, kind of a fun thing to talk about with you know guys of John's nature who are uh, you know very very data driven is can you quantify everything? And one of the I think. His belief is yes. And one of the conversations we had, I, I legitimately can't remember which player it was about, but I don't think it's anyone who's on the roster. It was kind of a fringe guy. It was rookie camp. But he was talking about this player having the moment where it clicked for him like, oh, if I want to do this, it's going to take everything I have. And, you know, that's something that, um, you know, a, a player's mental focus isn't something that you can necessarily quantify in numbers, but he still talked about it like it was a super tangible thing that for, a, you know, all players out there who are trying to push their way up into the NHL, has he, yes or no, had that moment where he's figured out this is 24-7 business, this is 12 months a year business. Right. So, I mean... Like I said, guys like John can, um, I, I really do think they believe there's a way to to quantify just about anything out there. It's not just controlled uh, offensive zone entries. Um, he's certainly a, a very, very focused individual. I didn't realize, too, uh, a health nut. I mean, former player, I don't even know if people know that, but played a lot of, uh, of junior hockey, junior, it depends what province you are in, but junior B, junior A, whatever you want to call it, tier two junior, and was already at that point, um, you know, I think had an eye toward uh, the next step of his hockey career being in management. He met his wife in a calculus class at Western and and I think told her not long into their courtship that mm-hmm. I'm going to be the GM of a, of a team <laughs> and uh, and he meant it. But when when you're that laser focused, you, you don't always uh, have all kinds of time to let loose in the traditional sense in the way that 20 uh, somethings would often find themselves, be it uh, in a dark, dingy uh, pub or, uh, you know, in the club uh, probably hasn't logged a lot of time there. Don't just take my word for it, though. Uh, have a listen to what Megan Chica, John's sister, had to say about uh, a pretty funny story about when their company was uh, around the time of their first major sale to an NHL client and uh, the parameters of a, a little bet or a little scenario they laid out for John. Have a listen. We uh, wanted to do something big, and this has got to be four or five years ago now, for our first sale. Uh, first major NHL client, and we said we all agreed that we would watch John eat a chicken wing. That was like <laughs> gonna be our celebration because he's so healthy. Oh my that, god! That, that was yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he's the type of person that you know grows his own like sprouts in the kitchen. And did you actually get to see him eat a chicken wing, or did it never actually? No. It was enough that he just said he would. We were like, that's fine. You don't have to. Here's a carrot. Rory, what would it take for you not to eat chicken wings? <laughs> to not eat chicken <laughs> If I wings? said I could make you the GM of an NHL team, but you can't eat chicken wings, would you still be like, eh, maybe I'll just stick with the life I got? What do you think? 
I think I would feel free to make some very aggressive trades, knowing my time there might not be too yeah, long. The one, <laughs> e, one chicken wing and poof, it's gone. And yes, yeah. he was uh, 26 when he was first hired by the Coyotes, 27 when he became the GM. What an impressive story. And yeah, legitimately, I think, I know Elliot Friedman was saying back... Uh, few weeks ago when it was still preseason time if i had any guts i'd pick the arizona coyotes mm-hmm. to make the playoffs and there's some nice pieces there and and that division you know kind of i don't know if you say completely up for grabs but uh who knows maybe this is the year that the the coyotes can really take a step forward definitely some pieces in place so we will keep an eye on the boys in the desert all right Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to go around the league and talk about some of these uh, coaches who did not make it out of the early stages of the season and uh, what could be on the horizon. Some news and notes from the NHL on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. When we designed the GMC Sierra, we took inspiration from the Northern Lights. Was it because of the otherworldly sense of awe they impart upon us? Their breathtaking majesty as shining beacons of the tundra their energetic dance across the moonlit sky. No. It's because the northern lights are bright, and the LED headlights on the GMC Sierra are bright too. Drive Canada like a pro. GMC, we are professional grade. Visit gmccanada.ca for more. John Stevens fired by the L.A. Kings. No great shock. Replaced by Willie Desjardins. And we will see whether that means anything. But at the end of the day, at some point, the L.A. Kings are going to have to recognize, we're too old, we're too slow, we got to get better. The Chicago Blackhawks have fired coach Joel Quinville and promoted Rockford Icehawks head coach Jeremy Colleton to take over. You know, you feel for any coach, uh, even feel more so for Joel Quinville, who's a friend and uh, somebody that has brought so much to this franchise. You feel for him, you feel for his family. Uh, Yeah, I'm surprised, I'm shocked, but I know the business and the Blackhawks are, uh, you know, they're doing what they feel is best at this particular time. And I don't think he'll be out of work too long if that's what he chooses to do. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Rory, the Chicago Blackhawks and LA Kings provided hockey fans with, I don't know, maybe the best seven-game series we've seen in a long time in 2014 when the LA Kings defeated Chicago in a screaming seven-game overtime, seven-game West Final. Kings went on to win the Cup. Those two teams combined five Cups from 2010 to 2015 just passing that thing back and forth however it's a new day in the nhl and the kings have already been through one coach since then daryl sutter Mm -hmm. axe john stevens you know a guy who was on the bench brought in to modernize the kings and and try and get them moving a little quicker stevens now axed by la and more recently joel quenville i mean talk about end of an era the the man who you know, was behind the bench for basically the entire renaissance of the Blackhawks. And my God, do you remember how far that team had fallen before in the dark place it was in until um, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Stan Bowman, um, Danny Savard, we should mention the coach before and who could forget Patty, Dale Pat- Talon, who came before Stan Bowman. <laughs> Absolutely. Dale Talon props. And I was going to say, who could forget Patrick Kane in tears when his first NHL coach, uh, Danny Savard fired 
early on in the season, replaced by Quenville, and and now here we are early on in this season, Quenville gone. Uh, why don't we uh, stick with the Hawks to start with Quenville replaced by Jeremy Colleton, one-time WJC teammate of Brent Seabrook. Uh, Colleton, only four years older than Mr. Chica, 33, um, played uh, a bit for the New York Islanders, most recently playing in the Swedish League in 13-14, but was coach of the AHL Rockford Icehogs last year and starting there this year, now suddenly finds himself head coach of the Blackhawks. I was going to say let's do this one at a time, but maybe it's just easier to lump them together because they are in such similar situations yeah. where they're just they're clearly not ready to give up on the core players they have. Kane, Taves, Doughty, Kopitar. You know what? In uh as an intellectual exercise, you could probably make a real good case that trade them. Trade them while you can get a boatload for them and start again. But in reality, that doesn't tend to happen with guys who uh, are still just shy of 30 or, or right around there. Um, guys at the top, the owners, look at, at these guys who've done so much for these teams. Not only is it, I don't think it's just loyalty. I think it, there's, it's hard to, when you've seen them do it and they're still relatively young, it's hard not to think they can do it again. And clearly both these teams think they can build around what they have and win again. Yeah, they're similar in some ways, but but different in others. I, I look at the Blackhawks as, on one hand, yeah, they're getting older, especially, you know, Duncan Keith's getting up there into his late 30s. Brent Seabrook is not close to the defenseman he once was. But I think Taze and especially Kane, uh, I mean, Kane's having a really good season here. He's been one of the top scorers in the league for a long time. You can count on that continuing for a while. Taze is having a bounce-back season from what he was doing last year. And, and as we sit here today, the Blackhawks are only two points out of a playoff spot. So I, I thought they were a team that was in a good position to recover somewhat, not to the extent of being a top-level Stanley Cup contender that they had been when all these guys were in their prime. I think we're past that. Chicago is also ahead of the Kings in, I, I think, how they're getting some youth into this lineup. On, on the back end, Henry Yokiharu is a rookie who's breaking in. Gwenville was using him along Duncan Keith on that top uh, pair. He's been fantastic for the Blackhawks. Alex DeBrincat, we know, is great in junior with and without Connor McDavid after he graduated to the NHL. And he's a good little goal scorer uh, on on this team as well. Dominic Cahoon was getting some good time. Nick Schmaltz, I think, is a guy, again, taking another little bit of a step in his second season. Like, they have guys here who are quick and can contribute on offense. And also, they were missing Corey Crawford for Uh, I was just going to say, if Corey Crawford doesn't have a concussion last year, is Quenville still the coach and they are in the playoffs last year? Everything's different. I mean, and even if he was healthy last year and they missed the playoffs, maybe Quenville gets fired at the end of last season instead of the start of this one. But but as he kind of regains his footing and gets comfortable, like I think the Blackhawks aren't in too bad of a spot. The only thing that's really working against them, aside from age, is is the division that they play in is so deep and yeah. difficult up and down that that, that might just find them uh, the odd team out there. The Kings, they're in a bad spot. Like they're just, they're still playing that heavy hockey game, which has passed them by. The NHL is becoming a young man's game a quick game, and the Kings just don't have the players. They haven't found the Debrinkets and Schmaltz. Exactly. Right? They haven't found these guys in, in, in the draft yet. I mean, the closest thing to that might be Alex Iafalo, but he's not a line driver necessarily, and he, there's only one of him. 
you know, Tyler Toffoli was a good story, but he hasn't been able to score. I, I thought he was going to be a 30-goal scorer at one point. He's not able, able to get to that level. Tanner Pearson was a guy that they found in the draft after he got passed over, I believe, twice in the draft. And, like, again, there's been no real progress t- to his game. Aside from Drew Doughty and Jake Buzzin, I mean, Alex Mart- Alec Martinez is a good defenseman, but he's in his 30s now, too. There's not anybody playing on the team right now who's coming up they have decent prospects coming through but nothing that really stands out off the page at you you have to wonder if they have to sink back down to what they were when they got Doughty second overall in his draft granted Jonathan Quick is out for them too yeah so. we should point out that's right they've had yeah an issue there so as well. what's interesting is that uh Stevens was fired after a win I mean there were many points over the early part of the season I remember um, one of the Saturdays two weeks ago doing the Hockey Central Saturday radio show, the Kings had had a bad loss, and we were wondering if if Stevens was going to make it back home, if that was going to be the end of his tenure there, and he stayed, and then he gets fired after a win. The timing of it was a little bit curious, but you know, Desjardins, Willie Desjardins comes in here. I, I, I mean, the Kings are such a... There's such a roster construction problem there. I don't know if any coach is going to be able to get them back on track, especially without Quick there to do anything. There's got to be some changes coming uh, from the GM, making some alterations to that roster before, before there's any comeback from them. So what does blowing it up look like for the Kings? Is that... Well, I mean, th- that's the thing, is you've just signed Ilya Kovalchuk to a three-year deal. He's making $6.25 million against the cap. I mean, you've kind of, by doing that, committed yourself to this team. You're, you're not trading Andre Kovatar, who's making $10 million, and you've just signed him to... Dustin Brown, uh, I mean, he plays well when he plays on Andre Kopitar's line, and I don't think you're going to be trading Dustin Brown in his $5.87 million cap hit for any kind of value at all. I mean, is Jeff Carter the guy that you would explore trading? Uh, You would lose so much goal scoring, a lot from the wing on your second line. He's subbed in to play center when needed on that second line, too. Your secondary scoring would all but vanish if you traded Jeff Carter, but maybe that's a sacrifice you can make. He makes... $5.2 $5.2 million against the cap. That's pretty good value for a guy who can pot the goals the way he can. Tyler Toffoli, again, $4.6 million. There's still a little bit of upside there. If you put him with a good center, maybe he can still do something. Maybe that's a guy that you look at trading. I, I, again, like Doughty, you've just signed him to a long-term extension that doesn't kick in until next season. He's not going to be going anywhere. Dion Phaneuf is not tradable. Is Alec Martinez the guy that you look to trade? Any of these guys that you're looking to trade, your depth goes completely away. You're totally building for the future. But there are too many veterans on these big contracts, Jonathan Quick too, that you're not going to move, that you can't move, and that are going to keep you, I think, from really bottoming out completely. Well, I mean, it's all worth it when you win two cups, I guess. They're yeah. just, uh, you're getting your comeuppance now. And- yeah. I mean, if, if they were going to do anything, I thought it needed to start happening last summer. But the, the Ilya Kovalchuk signing just further entrenched them into what's been going wrong with this team for the last couple of years anyway. So the fact that they didn't do it last summer and now they've made this coaching change so early in the season leads me to believe that there's not any major changes coming right away. They're still thinking that this thing can work, but I have my serious doubts that it will. Kings big time buyers in their cup years, getting Carter one year, getting Marion Gabrick in another cup run. They, uh, those were Golden touches by the old GM, Dean Lombardi. Maybe they'll be on the other side of the equation, selling some players off in advance of the deadline this time. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to play a little truth or fiction, see if we're buying into 
for better or worse, some early season performances, some guys in slumps, some guys tearing it up. Truth or fiction? Stick with us. That's coming up on Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all of your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. All right, time to kick off a fun segment we call Truth or Fiction. To start, I'm going to throw some things at Rory. He's going to tell me if we're dealing with the real hard truth or whether this is just a case of pure fiction. All right, Rory, Eric Carlson. You might remember Mr. Carlson was traded to the San Jose Sharks from the uh, Ottawa Ubers. I mean, the Ottawa Senators <laughs> in the Couldn't summer. Help Couldn't help myself. Um, man, we've all been there complaining about something. Um, <laughs> anyways, that's, that's a story for another day. Well covered at this point. No goals for Mr. Carlson, that all-world wizard of an offensive defenseman. Seven assists in 15 games. Truth or fiction, Eric Carlson is just a washed-up guy who hasn't got it anymore. <laughs> Definitely fiction. I, I, I've seen a bunch of Sharks games this year, especially early on. He looked pretty good to me, like the way he's rushing the puck up the ice. You can hear the crowd in San Jose a number of times make oohs and ahs on just the things he does. His numbers, his stat line anyway, is not so great, but this is total fiction. This narrative has started up that he's struggling in San Jose or whatever, but the fact is that it just hasn't really broken his way yet. I will buy into the fact a little bit that he's going to need to get used to his new D partners. He's played uh, with Brent Burns. He's played with Joakim Ryan, Mark Edward Velasic. They really haven't settled him in with a defense partner at even strength yet. And even the power play units were getting moved all over the place. So nothing's really settled. It will settle and things will start to turn for him. But if you look at his underlying numbers... 60.56 Corsi 4 percentage is second on the team among all defensemen. His, uh, he has the highest expected goals plus minus on the team with 4.4. So the expected goal differential for him by the numbers would be plus 4.4. His actual goal differential at 5 on 5 is minus 9. So do you think that's going to flip around? When Eric Carlson is on the ice, the San Jose Sharks have a shooting percentage as a team of 5.49, which is very, very low. That's the second lowest mark on the team. Their save percentage when he is on the ice is 8.51, extremely low. That is the worst on the team. And the high danger chances for and against when Eric Carlson is on the ice is plus 11 for the San Jose Sharks. So to me, this looks like a guy who maybe gives up a little bit more chances against than your average defenseman but he's an offensive defenseman and the offensive stats just aren't working in his favor yet, but he's getting the chances. It's going to turn around for this guy. I don't think anybody thought it would ever get this far with the Leafs and William Nylander, but we're now at this point where it seems in, or sorry, let's, let's try that again. It seems conceivable 
that he could actually get traded. Truth or fiction, the Leafs are probably going to have to trade Nylander. Truth. I don't know if it's going to happen this year or not, but that's the way this is looking, right? I mean, there have been a few times over the years, in recent years, where guys have had these contract negotiations last through the entire preseason. Sometimes they bleed into the regular season. And a couple of times these guys have been traded, but not right away. P.K. Subban's with Montreal. Missed some time. He got traded within two years of signing his big contract. Ryan Johansson with Columbus, same thing. He got traded within two years of this. There are guys, Ryan O'Reilly had a huge holdout, um, bled into the season. It was two years later he got traded. It's when these deals that these guys ultimately sign for more than the team probably originally wanted to sign them for, start to pinch them against the cap, and then these guys get moved out. So William Nylander has to sign this deal by December 1st if he's going to play for any team in the NHL this year. I could see the Leafs getting this contract done, and because they're not under any cap crunch yet this season that they can survive with him on the roster for this year but next year when austin matthews mitch marner start getting paid that the ultimate price that nylander ends up signing for here might be too much and that's when they might have to trade him maybe they trade him before then because they do need defensemen for sure but i think eventually that's where this is going to go so you're calling kyle dubas a liar (laughs) (laughs) speaking of young gms (laughs) <laughs> all right spot there <laughs> Tr- truth or fiction a couple years ago on this very pod you picked oliver bjorkstrand of the columbus blue jackets as rookie of the year in a season i'm pretty sure it's the one he went on to play 26 games and score 13 points mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty good rate actually but he only played 26 games that year yep. um i'll answer for you that's truth i, I it may have been your dark horse pick but i'm pretty sure yeah uh, it was a pick this year, you were high on Valentin Zykov of the Carolina Hurricanes. He's got a big donut in 13 games with the Canes this year, averaging less than, fewer than, 10 minutes of ice time per game. Truth or fiction, you need to really reevaluate your... Uh, he was not my uh, dar- Calder pick. He was oh, my dark horse Calder dark pick. Dark horse, this year. okay. He was Either on way. the radar. He was on the ra- if if I I was thinking about it, do I put in Z cover or not? Because I was really tempted to do it, and thank goodness I kept him out. But all signs were pointing to this guy being put in a really good position with Carolina. Thirty three goals and sixty three AHL games last year. The Carolina Hurricanes have traditionally always struggled to score. They have good shot rates, but low shooting percentages, and it's because they don't have snipers on this on this roster, and they still don't. They started really strong, but it was mostly on the backs of two games where they scored a combined 12 goals. If you look over the last two or three weeks, like Carolina's goal rates are way down. Their shooting percentages at the very bottom of the league, and again, it's because they don't have enough guys who can put the puck in the back of the net. Zikov looked like he was going to be that guy for them. And even in the preseason, they were using him in a top six role at times to kind of get that look, get him used to that. But you look at him in the NHL this season, first game of the year, 10 minutes and 16 seconds played. He's really hung around that 10 or 11 minute mark. But a couple of times, his last two games against the St. Louis Blues, six minutes and 38 seconds of ice time against the Vegas Golden Knights, four minutes and 41 seconds of ice time. I don't get it because when it comes to the power play, they're still putting him out there on the top, on the top or second power play unit, giving him exposure there. Why aren't they using this guy more at even strength? It's not like he's small. He's a really sturdy guy, six foot over 200 pounds for a team, especially that's struggling to score. I don't know why they're not using him more. He showed up in Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts this week as a player. The Canes were looking at trading. 
it blows my mind at the way they're using him. I still think if they do trade him, it's going to be the best thing for him because he's got that potential to break out as maybe a 20-goal scorer somewhere uh, this season. But it, it blows my mind what's happening to Val- Valentin Zikov in Carolina this year, totally changing my outlook on his season. Well, here's the guy everyone should have been picking for the Calder Trophy, Elias Pettersson of the Canucks. Elias G.A.G. Pettersson, that, of course, is goal a game. 10 games played, 10 goals, 16 points overall. Would it be truth or fiction to say the Canucks thought he was this good? <laughs> this good have to be fiction. I can't imagine you thought he was going to be this good. You knew he was going to be good. You knew he was going to be fantastic. But with 16 points in 10 games, he is the youngest player to put up that many points. Sorry. 16 points in 20 games, first 10 NHL games. That's the most points any player under 20 years old has ever scored in the NHL, passing Joe Sackick at 15 points, Alexander Deggs, 14 points, Sidney Crosby, 14 points in his first 10 games. Like Elias Pettersson is scoring at, a, at an historic rate. He's a great passer, great vision, but his shot, I think, has really stood out and caught a lot of people by surprise this year, and he's got staying power. You look at his year in the top Swedish league, last season that's kind of where he really announced himself as an elite player he won the regular season scoring title outright despite playing five fewer games than the guy who finished second and then they go to the playoffs and he wins the playoff scoring title outright and is the mvp in the top swedish league so uh, that's amazing you had to see some great play coming from him in his first nhl season after what he did overseas last year but I don't think anybody saw this kind of dominance coming. Well, I don't know how many people saw Max Domi going out and scoring nine goals in 15 games. That matches, if you're keeping score at home, his 82-game output last year. He had nine goals in 82 games, and I believe four were empty netters. This year, I don't think he has a single empty netter among the nine goals he scored in 15 games uh, 16 points overall for Domi playing center as well for the Canadians. Seems like a fine. Meanwhile, at the other end of the spectrum, Carey Price, just not impressive so far. After a year in which he missed time with injury and 900 save percentage last year, just 901 this year, has not looked like the guy we saw certainly in 14-15 when he swept the hardware uh, at the NHL Awards Truth or fiction, and I'm going to weigh in on this one, too, because it's close to home. Uh, Max Domi is the future of the Canadians, and Carey Price is not. (laughs) Wow. No. Fiction. Fiction. Carey Price is here for the long, long term after signing that contract. I think there's a real debate of if he's still the number one goalie in the world, though. I think there have been some other guys, namely John Gibson and Anaheim, who are quickly rising into that conversation. I think that's the conversation around Price. Where is he relative to some of these other great goalies in the world right now? But in terms of the future, I mean, who's the who's the long-term number one center for the Montreal Canadiens? Is it Jesperi Kotkaniemi? Is it even Max Domi? It's great that he's doing this, and they need it from him, but... You know, Carey Price is certainly not going anywhere. I always think of it in terms of if uh, if you look at a pie graph, like what percentage would be shaded to Carey Price gets it back together and is a Vezina nominee three more times versus, you know, it's the worst long-term contract signed in NHL history and he never gets it back together. Or, you know, he settles somewhere in the middle and... I guess at this particular moment, it's hard not to think that it's, you know, maybe it's uh, 
thirty percent he he gets it you know back to the elite level. 15% that, uh, you know, it, it was just a disaster. And, and was that leave us was 55% that he ends up being a, a pretty okay goalie. I mean, yeah. I guess that's where we land on. Unfortunately, when you look at what the cap hit is, I mean, the cap will rise over time, but for it to be something that they get value from, they, they need him at least. I mean, he's still only 31. They just lost to the New York Rangers this week. There's Henrik Lundqvist. He's, a, 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 I think, 36 now, still going strong. Roberto Luongo is back in the Florida net. Uh, he'll be 40 this year, still going strong. I mean, unless you really put a lot of stock in prices, injury history the past couple years, you know, age-wise, he should still have a, a lot of tread on the tire. And he's always been a guy who was str- sound positionally. He's not someone who was, you know, of course he's athletic, but he didn't, it wasn't like he was just relying on, um, you know, crazy Dominic Hasek style. Like you would think of anything, Carey Price would age well because he was always well positioned. He's not going to shrink from six foot three and yeah. 210 pounds. So yeah. And you know what? He's only had four seasons where he played the majority of games and finished with a save percentage over 920. Like, it's not like Carey Price has been the most dominant player in the NHL for a decade or something like that. And I think even if he does, recover and say he takes back the mantle of the best goalie in the world. I think even if that happens, you can make the case that that's a bad contract. If you look at some of the other goalies around the NHL, Corey Crawford's making $6 million. Henrik Lundqvist, who has been one of the most and best goalies, most consistent and best goalies for a long time, $8.5 million. That's that's high end. Gibson's making $6.4 million on a deal that's going to kick in next year. So, even if Carey Price becomes the goalie he was a couple of years ago, that contract could still look bad because it just comes a matter of why spend that much money at that position instead of trying to find something else, spend it elsewhere. Well, I will say quickly on Max Domi, I mean, I don't know how sustainable it is, but he sure looks at home flying through the middle. Um, I don't know if point per game is sustainable, but he definitely seems to have found himself uh, as a center in the, in the Habs organization. And just for old time's sake... Why don't we dig up Yarrow Halak's numbers? Oh, man. <laughs> League leading 952 save percentage, 145 goals against average in eight games. Uh, Goalie leading, controversy leading in Boston. Boston, <laughs> Boston Bruins. Halak, of course, once upon a time uh, stole that job from Carey Price. Uh, I think you can probably safely say the Habs made the right decision with what guy they kept. But, man, Yarrow uh, getting it dialed up. Goalie controversy in Boston, as you said. All right, we love talking about controversy here on the Tape to Tape pod, and we do it every week, so make sure you check us out at sportsnet.ca. Follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports. You can also, of course, subscribe to this pod in iTunes. We'll be back to our normal Friday slot next week. I can come back and tell you about all the fun I had in Montreal. I wonder if it'll be fun for Max Pacioretty. We'll see. Of course, he's... uh has not got out to the start he was hoping to in Vegas, so who knows? Maybe going back to his old stomping grounds will uh, get him off the schneid. We shall see. That's it for this episode of Tape to Tape, but check back next time for more glass rattling hockey action and Tape to Tape. 